forever. Okay, we're recording. Cool. I figured that out. All right. What's up, everybody? You got Jay and Jeff here. Welcome to Gangrel Retain. Um, today, we got two very special guests with us. One, Carlos Cazada and uh, Matt Harmon, his colleague. Carlos was the second interview we ever did on the Gangrel Retain podcast. And so um, here it is over 200 episodes later, and we're finally getting Carlos back. What was that like? fall of 2018 maybe does that sound right yeah yeah it sounds about right it's crazy that it's been that long actually because it doesn't feel like we've been doing this that long but then again fall of 20 fall of 2019 so it was right before the pandemic yes okay all right that feels a little more normal so matt what is your role at hpe matt matt and carlos are both at hpe so i know what carlos does sort of matt what do you do my role within HP, it's, you know, is I kind of like to look at a couple different ways. Uh, first off, Carlos has all these great ideas. I'm responsible for the various teams that help create the reality of those teams. Uh, you know, as we look at how we operate, I'm the operation side of everything as a service. So I manage a variety of different horizontal teams, as we like to call it. The journey map, the CSM enablement, the digital communications the CS operations and the data metrics teams that help, you know, build out whatever is needed for the various service delivery teams that we support. So Carlos comes up with the ideas and you, you go make it into reality. That's a gross generalization, but is that sort of. The the analogy I like to look at is, you know, my team is the soup to nuts home builder. You know, we're the architect, we're the general contractor, we're the team that comes in to train you on how to use your house. You know, we're giving you your monthly bills, telling you how everything worked and what's working right. And you as the homeowner, after living in it, say, hey, I get why you put this wall right here, but functionally it doesn't work. You know, can we move it to somewhere else? So my team will come, you know, stay stays engaged with you as the customer, fixes that wall, updates the journey maps. So this way in six months down the line, we need a retool the blueprints are all up to date. So, so before we jump into customer success content, I think it's an interesting point you mentioned, right? There's, I think there are a lot of teams out there that we hear from right now that don't necessarily know how to put it into reality, right? They say, oh, I'm going to go do digital customer success. And then they automate a couple emails and then they, cool, we did it, right? We kind of move on. And then they then they start realizing, oh, I'm going to get like seven tools in my tech stack and I'm going to communicate with customers in so many different ways. And then they don't know what to do. And so I'm curious, like Matt, you mentioned, you know, you're, you're kind of taking Carlos and, and you sound like you've been working together for quite a bit, but how does that, how does that actually work? Right. So are you all in a meeting and Carlos coming up with the idea and Matt is in there saying, okay, these are the tools that we can use. Let's go, let's go draw that out and bring it back. Like, how does that like actually like get down on paper? How do you actually get it down so that it says, okay, we can go do X? Yeah. So before we get into that, because uh, we were episode two. So for those folks that are listening, definitely go check out lesson two, uh, episode two, because this is the kind of where they're at now episode. So to give folks a little bit more context, right? Um, we just came off of uh, a pretty awesome presentation at the single conference a couple of weeks ago. And, yep. and uh, what we were sharing with the audience there um, was really our whole strategy about kind of reinventing the digital engagement. Um, and I said this on stage and I firmly believe this. I feel like a robust customer success team, uh, for those of you guys that are wondering why we were saying HPE earlier, Aruba is um, a part of the HPE enterprise company. And so we, we uh, run the customer success program over on the Aruba side. Um, when we first started, uh, uh, Matt was the first uh, person who joined my team. And I brought him in as uh, the person that could help me really wrangle the data around to help us make intelligent decisions. Uh, customer success, we had no organizational debt, something that new that was brought in. Um, we were actually uh, looking to solve a different problem and then uh, ended up birthing customer success. What I was going to say is I actually feel that Aruba's customer success team has built a brand around our digital approach to these things. Um, initially, um, we started with tech, we started with digital first and then added CSMs later. Um, and even in today's world where we do have CSMs, the CSMs that we do have are not dedicated CSMs. We actually, um, my background is in services support and I leveraged what we used to do in, t- in, in, in TAC around a swarm support model. And we did something very similar with the CSMs. 
And so with that, going back to answer your question, right, um, as we start coming up and ideating new ideas, right, how do we go in and put those into, into work? I think, you know, first of all, I like to think of us as a data-driven organization. And so Matt's team does a really good job of keeping a pulse on where the install base is um, and where the need is. Um, and so, for example, some metrics I'll throw out there, and then Matt, I'll let you chime in on add on this, is when we first got, when we first started this back in 2018 and 2019, we're looking at an install base of about 4,400 customers um, uh, of existing install base. And we were averaging about 300 customers, uh, net new customers a quarter. Um, today, we're a little bit over 13,000 customers and we're averaging that many, that many customers a month. Um, and, you know, we starting to see a shift in, you know, North America used to be one of our predominant geos, and now we're seeing Europe catch up. And so as these types of things start to uh, uh, percolate and we start looking at the numbers, that's really what, what shifts those decisions. And so Matt, I'll let you talk about kind of your team's role with regards to um, the program management aspect, the journey map, how we present, uh, how we actually integrate, like for example, with the NSI process and stuff like that. Yeah, so one of the things that's been really important for us to be a part of is the new service offering or new product introduction process within HPE. You know, there's lots of different hands doing lots of different things. And when we first started, we were ignored for a lot of parts like, oh, yeah, it's your, uh, oh, you want to help our customers? No, we got it. You know, we've been doing this on-prem model forever. We'll figure this SaaS thing out. You know, Carlos, myself, and a couple of our other early people uh, just really started inserting ourselves into the process, trying to get to as close to the idea from a product creation as possible. So we're not an afterthought with them. So you you mean, easy. Matt? Do you mean like when you're creating the product, make it feel like a recurring subscription as opposed to the old school license model? Is that what so you mean? A couple of things, a little on that, you know, but we come, you know, from, you know, I have 15, 20 years in the SaaS industry dealing with a lot of different SaaS applications and working very closely with the customer and just bringing that interaction and thoughts and forward thinking of, okay, great. We're going to make this widget that does something that SaaS managed but what's the customer impact? Having the customer yeah. as a forethought in the production of these things is where we're trying to get to. Usually we're doing that through data and trying to say, hey, you know, one of the first things when I started, you know, with Carlos, we ordered hardware as if I was a customer. Oh, that's cool. Like literally yeah. I placed an order through a reseller and I had one order from Carlos. It was just even though support is sitting 15 feet away from you, under no circumstances could I talk to them directly. I had to, go, I ran into a problem. I had to go through the normal channels that a customer would do. And as a result of this, you know, I came up with about 10 pages of notes <laughs> as to where we were failing the customers, challenges I had, which this led to our digital program. You know, we created this digital campaign, which addressed or tacked onto those things. We push that information upstream. So this way we could get some things fixed at a higher level. But that's a lot of our actions started with just being that customer, getting that feedback and then probably- and, and, and to add to your point, Jay, about really what that means, um, essentially what we have now done is because we've created this rinse and repeat framework of this journey lifecycle piece, we are now taking and doing the new product and new service introduction phase, we're taking what they usually put together as um, like support delivery guides and turning those into the experience journey maps of how we're going to deliver what's part of that you know, service definition, but also making sure that the different stakeholders, delivery teams that are involved in that have the right um, processes in place, but also we have the consistency from a look and feel perspective and an engagement yep. across. So you have an onboarding team, you have a, you know, a, a team that's helping customers with adoption and driving and the ongoing. It shouldn't matter who's talking to the customer. It's an overly used cliche term of customer success is not necessarily a department. It's, 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 you know, it's a philosophy. And so yep. 
because of the framework that we built in, everything from the welcome letters that get triggered, whether you're a digital customer, success customer, whether you're a, a dedicated, you know, uh, you're going through a monetized offering, everyone's getting the same looking feel. You all, all of our customers are going to be, um, you know, uh, taking advantage of the customer success framework. So we've essentially embedded a lot of these customer success capabilities or mechanics in all of the service delivery we do, whether it's included as part of the subscription or even in our on-prem perpetual business. It doesn't, there's no reason why we couldn't go in and leverage the same goodness coming out of the CS organization, even in our on-prem customers. So we're doing that as well. Yeah. So huge, th there's a lot of influence in that, right? Like you don't, just go and start doing those things and convince all those teams to do things differently, which it sounds like you probably had to not only look and feel right of collateral and materials and content and all that kind of stuff, but it's actually changing the way they work together. So like, what has that experience been like for you at Aruba HPE? Like, what does it, what does it take? Because I, I think, and I, I want you to talk a little bit about your role and how you've sort of re, retitled your team. I think that's really important. And it speaks to a lot of the things that Carlos, you and I talked about at that conference mm -hmm. while we were together, which is like this thing called customer success. If you limit it to just being a team, it's super myopic, right? And you actually right. miss out on the benefits you might get from bringing everybody in the company and each of their departmental uh, responsibilities pivoting it around like you did to being customer centric as opposed to, well, I'll just do my task and move on with my day. I check the box. Right. So right. anyway, talk about the, talk about the, like how you lead with influence at HPE. Yeah. This will be the controversial section of this podcast. Right. So um, I'm uh you know, I, I'm a firm believer that, uh, that a customer success leader has to have a really strong backbone. Um, and, you know, not looking to offend anybody, but, you know, I've unfortunately ever run into a number of folks who are CS leaders, but um, they're essentially an extension of sales, right? And to me, what I firmly believe is that customer success should be leading the transformation of the company. It shouldn't just be, to your point, checking that box. Um, so we'll, I'll walk through a couple of the different, um, I would say, milestones in our maturity, right? When we first got started, um, we were actually asked to not call ourselves customer success because there was already uh, a group in the company that was kind of assuming that title, although it wasn't performing customer success as the science we recognize today. And so it took a little bit to, you know, I actually refused to change our name um, and said, no, you know, if, if anybody's customer success, it's us. What was, so was like, well, what was the other team doing? What was the other team doing? Uh, I would relate it to more of uh, professional services okay. account manager, like a, like okay. a type of role, like post sales, uh, you know, uh, what would you call it? Maybe like a technical service manager type of role. Yeah. Um, but not life cycle management, right? Customer yeah. success kind of assumes that there's this overall life cycle and there's a, there's an end goal, right? It's, it's around really going and helping customers make sure they're getting value out of everything and be that trusted advisor. In this role, it was everything directly post-sales, escalation management, that kind of stuff, but not necessarily looking at the overall experience, um, which is great. I mean, nothing wrong with that, but you know, I wanted to make sure that we started off with the right foot. So we finally ended up compromising and saying, well, there's going to be big C and little C. You guys are subscription success. They're big customer success, right? It's like, whatever, but we're customer success. And once we started getting, um, you know, some some firm ground under our feet and, and having, uh, I would say, quite a bit amount of success from a visibility perspective, Matt, you know, huge kudos to him and his team. We became the authority on data. We became the one group who had the data necessary to make decisions and to really understand how the how the product was performing. And we started, you know, going to the to the table um, with the executives and being the ones who were the only ones showing up to the table with these metrics. We started actually gaining quite a bit of kind of a momentum and respect, and eventually, what I kind of anticipated was that you know pockets of customer success would eventually start popping up in the company, and I don't want to have to compete with that. And so I remember very clearly I was walking into I always used to do um, MBRs and I would present on a monthly basis. I would self-inflict our group to present what did we say we we're going to do in the last three days, what were the results, and then what are we doing in the next few days? And we do that every every time. 
And so, um, you know, we got quite a bit of traction. And then on one of those MBRs, I presented us ourselves as the center of excellence for customer success. And it stuck. Love it. Right. And what that ended up happening is it made us officially the customer success authority for Aruba. And what was interesting is, is that there was this huge paradigm shift where before we used to be asked if we worked for that other CS team, right? Or are you guys part of that team? It's like, no, that's separate. And then once we announced ourselves and really launched ourselves as COE, we'd already started doing quite a bit of cross-functional work with marketing and product management. And so the narrative changed. Now the question was, were they part of my team, right? And so um, we actually, you know, Matt and I built this, this whole concept of the COE, meaning that really, and this goes to my latter point, really, when you take a look at the work that our team does, the customer success manager delivery part is the least of what we do. And so the COE yeah. framework allows us to build that consistent framework and experience and being able to onboard other products. We had acquisitions that happened very quickly into our framework, but it also allowed the flexibility to allow the CS teams to live outside of my COE, right? As long as we were helping them build out their journey maps, put them on their, our CS platform, things like that, their day-to-day job was the manager of, was, 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 was their manager's job, right? It was for us to do enablement. And so, like I mentioned, we started off as a customer success team, then we became the COE. And this year, we actually have rebranded ourselves. And so I now say that we're head of, I'm the head of customer success and as a service operations, and Matt is my director of as a service operations. And the reason for that is, is that not only Aruba, but all of HPE is transforming to this everything as a service model. And I think us as service leaders or as CS leaders really should start making sure that we are really evangelizing for some of the most critical work that we really do. When you take a look at a CS leader, in order for us to allow the CSFs to do their job, there's a bunch of stuff that we have to come up with customer segmentation, right? Journey mapping, right? Um, You know, a lot of these proactive playbooks, right? Um, You're tracking NPS, you're tracking um, net retention, right? All of these, all these um, metrics are key for the success of the business. And they're, they're the, they're the indicators of how the company's doing. And so a lot of the work that Matt's team does in, in working with finance and working with engineering and working with PM to align on these metrics are transformative to the entire business and calling us customer success leaders, I don't think is doing that enough justice. And so I purposely started to kind of push myself away from trying to be recognized as a leader in CS. I look at myself more as a transformation leader who happens to be solving a customer success problem. And so that's why, you know, first of all, you know, kudos to you guys for uh, bringing Matt on because I think that there's a lot of mats out in many CS organizations that aren't getting the spotlight. And, and to me, it's super important, right? And that's why I was saying earlier, the CS leaders really have to have that backbone to drive that narrative and recognize the significance of the work they're doing and the impact that that's gonna have in the overall business transformation. And the one thing I wanna to add to everything Carlos has done is that this model that we've built out, we don't have to be the subject matter expert on whatever the end content is but we are the experts on how you look at the life cycle for that customer. What metrics, what's important to track that book of business? How do we make that content? You know, our, you know, Teresa on my team is in charge of all of our digital content. We've been in executive meetings where they looked to, they've seen our content, they look at marketing and said, oh, this is really great for the marketing to say, yeah, that was actually done by Carlos's team. You know, we, we don't need to be, knowledgeable of every single product. That's what the delivery teams are, who half of our teams we support, the delivery is different organizations. But the look and feel, the customer journey that every one of those customers have is consistent across the board, which gives, at the end of the day, you're giving the customer a consistent and familiar feel on the different products. Go ahead, Jeff. I was gonna say, there's, I think there's two that stand out um, just to call it as like points that you mentioned, Carlos, is one, the data element is like widely talked about, right? Everyone talks about data, but the, what, what you just mentioned, right? The, the reason that the, that data can be powerful is that you can then 
bring it into a conversation that makes it more real, makes it more tangible. When you walk into a meeting and you say, hey, we have a churn problem, or we, we have a problem with um, our handoff from this to that, or we have a problem with our onboarding, it's very different if you just say that anecdotally, or if you come in and say, here's the metric, right? Here's the data that's telling us this. Here's how many customers have experienced this. Here's how we're going to go improve it, right? That's the, the missing link that I think people think about as we talk about data a lot, but we don't talk about actionable data, bringing it to a meeting and what it can do to impact. I'll give you a, an example on our side. Um, we're, we're kind of reconstructing an advocacy program right now. And I walked into an executive team meeting and I was able to say, we have 185 advocates that have done something on our behalf over the past two years. Um, whatever that number might be, right? But that was a very powerful statement because now it didn't just, it wasn't theorized, right? Real, I could look at those people. I could give you names. I could give you companies, segments, right? It changes the dynamics. I think that is just a point to um, echo again. And then the other thing is, we've mentioned this a couple of times, but I continue to think that the best mm -hmm. leaders in organizations, not only customer success leaders, but the best leaders are the ones who can look horizontally and understand that what we are now doing is we are selling something that's end to end. The customer experience is no longer this buying experience and then it segments into a customer experience and then it's a support experience and then it's this experience, right? The best leaders are the ones that say, no, the entire experience is end to end. And I can see, and I can start to, to you know, I can start to pinpoint certain moments and I can kind of get in and get out right? I can kind of identify it. I can bring data, I can solve, or I can bring a solution and then I can get out and move to the next one. And those, that horizontal visibility, I think is also something that um, to me is becoming more critical as you're a leader in an organization um, that just isn't talked about enough either is, um, you know, sometimes we get siloed into our, what I'm doing in this segment of the business and this department and this team and my role. Uh, and that's very kind of narrow. So those are just two things I wanted to call out. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think Matt and I do a really good job of tag teaming. I feel like I feel like my role in this organization is to make sure that we're evangelizing the work that's coming out of the team and also anticipating, you know, those relationships that are going to be super critical in the next three, six, nine months, right? So, you know, I one of the things that we did very early on, which you would hear in episode two of, of your podcast, is we actually did a... Um, what we called a, a 30 day roadshow where we went and presented our customer success charter to all the senior leaders of the company to get their feedback on what do you think, right? What do you think about our charter? Here's our focus area. And what that's done is it allows me to go back in and say, here we are six months later. It's been a while since we talked. Let me catch you up on where we're at. No, by the way, here's what I need from your team, right? Um, we had a conversation like that this morning about, you know, um, this team was recognized by TSA a couple of years ago about innovation and customer success with the digital first. We want to apply again. We want to bring something new to the table. And we know in order for us to do that, we really have to start building an end product experience. And so we know it's going to take a while, but let's start those conversations now. So it's literally a series of, you know, who do I got to go to lunch with to go in and convince them of this and have them understand what, what this is going to do from a competitive advantage, right? So I feel like that's kind of my role is to kind of help uh, block and tackle for the team. And Matt, I look as kind of like my CTO of CS, right? He's the one who's going in and figuring out and problem solving, working with HPIT, working out with all these different third-party vendors to figure out how we stitch all this thing together to go in and deliver the CS enablement that we have today. So, so when you, when HP acquires a new company, let's say it was Aruba back in the day, it's been a bunch since, but walk, walk through the process. Like how, how do they, how do you get engaged there? And how do they position you all? I, they, I assume whoever is leading that new business that's been incorporated in is saying, Hey, like mm -hmm. one of the first things you're going to do is you're going to go meet with Carlos and Matt, and they're going to walk you through how we're going to sort of bring you into the fold. Like talk us through that. Yeah, that's all Matt's team. Matt, I'll let you talk about, we can give the Silver Peak as an example, right? So Aruba acquired Silver Peak as uh, whatever SD plan uh, products and, you know, I'll let you talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, whether it's an acquisition like Silver Peak or a new product introduction, it all starts off with that initial conversation where we show them our charter. We show them the buy-in that we've gotten from other teams and we show them the result of what we've done. You know, using our main, our first product, Ruby Central, as the cornerstone of 
you know, here's how we've grown and scaled. We've taken, you know, it's gone from the, you know, 4,500 customers to 13,000. We're managing this with only, you know, a dozen actual CSMs. Most of it's all through digital and here's our mechanics there. The next step usually is some level of just understanding from that, you know, from Silver Peak, what is it that they're doing? Listening to them, you know, mm -hmm. in many ways, we're being a CSM to an internal audience. You know, we're going in, understanding the challenges that that customer has, you know, understanding, listening to them. And then we replay back to them kind of that customer success profile. So I hear that here's the challenges you're doing. You have a lot of customers, you don't really do much. You send out a couple of messages here and here. Here's why your customers you think are changing or churning. We're going to then say, work with them to say, well, let's build a plan. Let's start off with the journey. What's the journey that you feel your customers should have? You know, we work on the content and all along this is stitched the data. Now, there are some processes that maybe tools, systems and tools can't solve initially. And that's fine. Maybe the first iteration of everything is going to be manually going to Salesforce to do something. Because as an example, you know, Silver Peak was something Aruba acquired almost two years ago, and we're still fine. We're in the final stages of some systems getting connected. So our first yep. iterations have been, you know, the first MVP. You know, so we like to work in, you know, minimum viable products. You know, let's work on this for two months and identify what we can do early. And then after that, we'll bring in tools as it comes available. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and I keep going back to episode two, man, because like, I'll be honest, I went and I listened to it just recently, right before the TAO conference. And it was awesome to listen to like all these great ideas that we had back then and where we're at now and how much of that is still stayed super relevant. So what Matt's talking about is something we talked about in that episode, which is taking the agile development approach into how we go in yeah. and reiterate CS. And so exactly that, right? As part of our quote unquote MVP process, first thing we do is you go through a discovery phase, right? And as part of the discovery phase, those are the things that come out, right? So as we brought in Silver Peak, right? What's the charter? Is this gonna be the same model as Aruba Central? Or is this CSM model gonna be retention and experience focused? Or is it gonna be upsell and cross sell focused, right? Where does the pain point lie? Um, what are the benefits of a CSM in, in that model, right? And so, um, that rinse and repeat model works very, very well. We do we do the discovery and then we go and identify what the project scope and timeline will be for the next three months. What are the things that we're gonna, we're not gonna boil the ocean. We're not gonna do everything. What can we do in the next three months? And that's where, um, you know, on Matt has a gentleman on his team named Meg Zaylor, shout out to Mike, um, who, uh, who runs that team and has done this at least seven times already, both from a high touch services. So um, if you, anybody on the call is familiar with HPE GreenLake and Aruba GreenLake, yeah. We actually we actually develop the journey phase maps for the Green Lake process, right? And this is super high touch, right? Um, the delivery team all built on the same framework that we built the digital program on, um, and so it's definitely scalable. It's something that we do over and over again. Right now, I think we have seven or eight MVPs in flight through that team now, um, and so it's it's one of those things that's just worked really really well for us. We have an awesome program management team um, as part of Mike and Matt's team who give us the smart sheet dashboards on how all the initiative is going at any point in time. And then we have the opportunity in between those MVPs to do those retrospectives and figure out what's working, what's not working, and, and what do we need to do to pivot. Do, do y'all, does your team, Carlos and Matt, run the operations after you stand them up or do you hand those over to the business to run? We can do both. And that's, uh, you know, especially as we talk about, as we continue to scale beyond Aruba and into more of the HPE ecosystem, they have their own systems and tools. You know, Aruba, yeah. we started off on Tatango and another tool before that. HPE has a gain site. We're, our goal is to get them up and running on whatever tools and systems they have. And even on our team, because of the acquisitions, we're running Tatango, gain site, and client success. Right. Wow. We, we like to look at ourselves as platform agnostic. Yeah. You know, I know the best, I know the best journey map process, the, what the checkpoints you should have. The last step is just translating it into the various platforms, terminology and processes. Yeah. It's funny. We, um, 
Jeff and I used to consult in this world and I'm sort of glad we don't do that anymore, but like you see it all the time. People buy these tools thinking that it's going to have the answer to their go-to-market problems and their retention problems. And the reality is none of these things are useful unless you have a plan. So I, I like that point, Matt, it really resonates. You got to have the, your perspective on what the world should look like. And then you, then you automate it. Right. Right. And, Once you I know mean, it works. And the tool is only as good as its inputs. Yeah. And if you're not telling the tool the right thing to do, I don't care what the tool is, it's not going to work for you. So, you know, that's why I really like my team, even my ops team to be able to independently verify all the data because we need that as a sanity check in case, you know, systems and tools fail. It happens. Yeah. yeah and they go away. Right. So every time. So, uh, are most of the things that you incorporate in, do they all look similar to one another? Maybe, maybe talk about like one of the, what's, what's one of the most difficult as a service integrations that you've had to do in this environment, something that you picked up and you're like, man, this just, this doesn't feel like the other things we did. The pattern isn't working. Like what's, what's one of the more difficult ones you had? So probably one of the more challenging ones for us was, we have some offerings that are very high touch and very working with the customer step-by-step, step, which is a little different from some of our other stuff where we've led with the digital first approach. But at the end, it all started with that discovery call and just listening as to the processes that they had and some of the systems and tools we didn't have access to and would take you know six months of you know red tape for us to get access to, which is fine. That became MVP two. MVP one was let's take the manual stuff that you do. Every Monday, you go look at your calendar log and identify these renewals are coming up in the next two weeks. Okay, well, let's find a way to make that more efficient. And then we bring it into a tool and have it. Now we're at an email shot out to you Monday morning. When you hit your desk at eight in the morning, you get a list of anything important calls coming up to you, upcoming renewals hot button things that have come up overnight. So, you know, much like every customer that you would deal with when you're in this, you know, customer facing and us being internal facing, every time we get a new product or service, it's just starting off with the discovery call, really listening as to their yeah. challenges and take our years of experience as to say, okay, I've seen parts of this before and, you know, what do you mean by this? What do you do at this point? You know, Mike will sit down. He will sit down with that customer and painstakingly note everything. You know, we have some journey maps that, you know, are an eye test. And, but it also <laughs> clearly defines everything that happens. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's just part of the process, but it's, I think there are no challenges we've had that, haven't been doable. The challenge that every organization faces is data. Um, if you want to automate things, the better the data is. And you know, we have some teams that have great processes, but their data is all over the place. So in that case, that time, sometimes then we'll start with how do we make that data more efficient? How do we help clean it up? You know, I have a data team. I have ML people on my team who help to take our learnings and apply it to their data to make it useful. I also think, I also think it's important not to constrain yourself to the tool. Cause I think a lot of times what ends up happening is you start, you start creating processes around the tool that you happen to have. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, being a startup for most of my career, you know, you always, you always uh, are looking like, like, I feel like we push every one of our vendors, um, it's like, yeah, this feature is nice, but I need, I need something like that does this. Right. Um, and, uh, and so one of the things that I always, I always talk to the team over let's not, let's not assume there's limitations with the tool. Let's not assume that we can't do this because the tool doesn't do it. What do we need? Let's go talk to the tool vendor and ask them to see if they can make it happen. But let's, let's see if we can go in and solve this on our own. So one of the things Matt and team have been doing recently is, um, because of the multi um, vendor environment that we have. You know, we actually are trying to do a lot of what I call pre-processing. 
So health score is one of the things that came to mind when you brought up that question, Jay. How health score gets defined in all these platforms is going to be completely different, right? Mm-hmm. But for us, it's it should all be consistent. And so what we're looking at is creating our own kind of centralized hub of the data points coming in. And then we can feed whatever whatever we want to feed into the tool. Instead of having the tool do the calculation for us, yeah. we'll just feed you it's red, yellow, or green, right? And that way it doesn't matter which tool you're on, doesn't matter which, 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 which you know, delivery team you're on, it should be consistent, right? And so that's where we kind of start pushing the envelope and saying, look, let's not depend on a vendor to help us define how we should be calculating health. Let us define it and have the tool consume it. And so you no, know, we have great relationships with all of our vendors. We, 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 you know, Matt was recognized at the conference uh, this that we just left as, you know, probably one of the most vocal users that that tool has on feature requests, and that their engineering team, every time they see his name, they recognize him. So, um, you know, that's something I personally think he should be proud of, right? He's changing the name game for for that tool, and any of the stuff that the tool's coming up is going to benefit the rest of their install base as well. It's a nice way. Of- being called a pain in the ass, I think, Matt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the the other thing that um, I'm sitting here thinking about too is just the um, ha- so you have these digital touch points, right? I think everybody's everybody's scared, or like most companies are scared when you start thinking about a digital strategy. The, they th- start thinking of lesser than, right? We're we're giving somebody a lesser than experience because it's not human driven. It's not a touch point that they can get some human interaction with. How, how do you navigate that conversation internally, right? You go to a new business unit and you say, Hey, we're going to implement some of these digital strategies. You mentioned this earlier, Matt, right? There's some that are very high touch and you've kind of found ways to help make their work easier. But I'm also just curious, have you, have you implemented more of those touch points that we would consider as digital first? And how do you navigate that conversation so that the organization doesn't feel like we're delivering a lesser than experience. Well, the foundation of everything we did was a digital first approach and everyone gets our digital communications, whether you give us five bucks a year or a million dollars a year, everyone gets that baseline. And then we build out the segmentation. We have three tiers, you know, tier one, two, three, tier three is what we call our tech touch tier one and two. That's where we start layering in, additional CS touch points, which are human driven actions. And one of the things that we've always been early on to do is because we had so many digital customers, we leveraged tools like Calendly or uh, Chili Piper to be able to have that customer raise their hand when they, they needed help. And this is one of the value props that we've shared with other organizations of, hey, you don't need to have CSMs to manage it all. You know, you can use the swarm model that we started using from the get-go because initially it was Carlos, me, and we brought on a few more people to manage 4,500, 6,000 customers. And so that's where those tools helped out. And now as we're moving to the next generation, we're leveraging new tools with our customers and data uh, like cast.app. We're leveraging that to send some of our tier two customers that monthly business review. Hey, Mr. Customer, thanks for being a customer. You know, here's some of your metrics, showing them what, how they compare to other customers. Because for me as a leader, I get bombarded by my vendors wanting to do QBRs all the time, and I really don't have time for it. I mean, if I look at my calendar, I have 30 hours of meetings a week. Do I really want another hour to go over my tool set? But I'm really receptive to getting a text or getting some kind of digital message, which I can view at my leisure to see how it's be how my usage is. And so that's where we really started using the cast and looking at other tools to do something comparable, especially for some of our higher touch engagements. You know, we have one team where they every quarter having to do this full OKR review with their customers going over all their tickets. Well. Yes, initially it was great. We'll keep it in PowerPoint and maybe find some automation. But my goal within my ops team and my data team is how can we take the burden off the CSMs and repackage that into another format that is receptive to the customer, that they ingest it 
and engage with it more. And at the end, it becomes more efficient. Yeah, and, and, and also one thing to add to that, right, Jeff, is that uh, um, as CS leaders, I want to make sure that we separate this concept of digital engagement means that it's non-attended, right? Yeah. <clears throat> what I think is super important to understand is that in order to scale even your CSM engagement, CSM should be doing as little repetitive work as possible. CSM should not spend two to three hours preparing for that QBR, right? One of the things that Matt's team does a really good job of is bring a lot of the data to the forefront. Uh, for any of you guys that may have been at the Tango conference, you guys saw we demoed our cast on app solution. But, um, you know, and at the Tango just announced the whole concept of templates. One of the things that was said at the conference that I spoke at is that some, uh, you know, in our case, um, you know, we would normally engage with IT directors. An IT director, a CIO, could potentially have up to 30 to 40 SaaS vendors that they're working with today. And so what does that mean? It means you probably have 30 to 40 CSMs trying to get on their calendar to go and do the MBR and QBR, which is insane, right? So when we talk about digital engagement is let's do it on demand. How many of us have, you know, a, a, a you know, YouTube TV or Netflix? We watch it when we can at our time, right? So why not do the same thing with the engagement? Let's do it when they're ready. And so <clears throat> the work that, that Matt's talking about is we've created that consistent look and feel. We know what the journey map is. We know what the message the customer needs to get right now. It's either they're falling behind from their usage or they're killing it or there's something they should know about, right? And so, you know, one of the things I always say is how many of us answer a phone call during our during our workday from a number we don't recognize? None, Never. right? How many of us leave a text message unattended for more than four hours, right? And so why not think about the psychology behind that? And so what, as Matt said, let's pepper that out there with Calendly, right? Let's go in and, and, um, and send a message to the customer and then click on a link and we can set up a call when you're available, right? Uh, and then on top of that, taking it a step further, if I'm a CSM and I have a QBR coming up, I should have the deck ready for me that I can open up, review, edit a little bit, change it, validate it, and then present it. I shouldn't spend hours and hours trying to correlate the data to get ready to make this presentation. So when we think about digital engagement, I wanna make sure that we separate, it's not just a digital touch point, but it's the automation um, behind a lot of that and the, and the uh, overall efficiency consistency that comes out of the digital capabilities to help drive those engagements. One thing that is becoming, I think a, a part of this conversation more and more that customer success teams also need to recognize is that we have a tool set these days that also allows for collaboration much more so than we have in the past. Having a meeting was a means necessary to collaborate, right? Now we have tools like Google Slides or even Office 365, areas where we can actually gather feedback and work in collaboration in much more succinct ways, right? So um, I also think the thing that I keep thinking about is where where do we keep evolving, right? How do we get better at, at delivering customer success? And the one area that I still think of is like ripe for doing that is that collaboration, right? Like I used to have to get a meeting with Jay because I didn't have Slack. I didn't have Google Slides. I didn't have these ways that we could actually communicate about, are we reaching your goals? Are we hitting the right things? Are we doing things, right? I have other means to do that. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be a lesser than relationship. It just means that I'm valuing Jay's time and saying, hey, we don't need to actually talk about that in the meeting. Let me show you a report ahead of time. Let me get your review ahead of time. Let me get you an agenda ahead of time that you can you know, fill out uh, alongside of me. And then let's use the time in the meeting. And I think this is your point, Carlos, talking about how we better your business and our business together, the right things for us to be doing in the platforms or to help you reach your goals um, and not just reviewing data or reviewing slides. That's where you know the, the old QBR has gone to die. Um, but I think that collaboration is the piece that is like teams need to get outside of get a meeting. I need to get in the room with you because we can collaborate in different ways now that still provides a great relationship and provides that touch point that we need. So like, it goes back to the psychology thing that you were talking about too, Carlos. It's like, I, I text with my wife, like throughout the day, all day, like we're constantly figuring out what we're going to do with the kids and, you know, whatever the day holds. And, you know, we meet over dinner every night, okay, maybe every, maybe twice or three times a week, but you can have those longer discussions, but a real relationship is actually a fluid thing. It, it's, it's always, 
it's always going. And, and there's a salience factor there too. It's like, I know you're there for me. I don't need 30 minutes of your time. I just need to ask you one question and get a quick answer. So I had uh, somebody the other day who was just, they, they asked me straight out. We were having a kind of a partnership discussion. He was like, Hey, um, like, I'm just going to tell you, I don't do email very much, which is great. Cause I don't do email very well either. And he was like, can you mind if we just text? And I was like, you know, that is perfect for me. And so I think more and more, like, how do we get on that cadence with our, with our customers? That's a, that's a big win for everybody because then you can have more of a fluid discussion and, and uh, a little bit lighter touch points, but more meaningful over the course of time. Feels like yeah, a relationship. So- yeah, so Jeff, going back to your point, uh, you know, we presented at the Tatango Leadership Conference about kind of our, our roadmap for what's next for us from digital. Uh, I just came back from our huge user conference in Vegas last week, and I got an opportunity to meet with a couple of customers. One of our customers is super active on Reddit, right? And that was like a thing for me. I was like, we hadn't considered that, right? Like, what is the opportunity for us to, to go on Reddit? Um, we have considered Slack, right? Creating a Slack channel. Um, for those folks that are listening to this podcast that are familiar, we actually personified our digital engagement with a virtual CSM named Steve. And so Steve is a character who actually presents himself during onboarding and exists in your life cycle throughout, right? And so um, we're looking at maybe evolving Steve into potentially an AI chatbot, right? Um, and things like that. So, um, so there's a lot of really good stuff coming. Um, Matt, I mean, you, you could probably talk about, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing with multi-language, we're doing stuff with even inclusion and diversity on the CS side, yeah. right? And even making Steve more inclusive and diverse too. But the other thing I'll call out is that, you know, Carlos and I, all of our team, we're all consumers outside of work. And so I'm always looking at SaaS options that I currently have, you know, and seeing what happens, what, what's the life cycle that they have for their customers. As an example, we didn't renew a SaaS contract recently with, on our team. And, the, and Carlos sent me a message with an upside down face, you know, because it was something that we used a long time ago. And my response to him was, don't, don't be sad. I'm curious to see what their uh, churn process is, because maybe I'll learn something how they're doing it. Uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of stuff we're doing, but we're also constantly talking to other vendors out there to see what's new. You know, there's a lot of tools we we're looking at now that we try and act like an influencer on to help build it, to make it bigger and better. Take a tool that's not necessarily built for CS and help them build that tool out to be more useful for our use case and give them a whole new market. So... That's awesome. We're implementing a tool right now as well. Um, and our team is just so inspired by the onboarding process that they're going, that they're going through with us at higher logic. So they're like taking all, they're taking all these pieces from it and, and, and borrowing. So it's a good, good point. All right. Should we, we should probably wrap it up. Carlos two years on, well, over two years now, it's in two and a half years. Like what's the number one piece of advice you would give to give to folks that are going, getting ready to go through a SaaS transformation based on everything you've learned. Matt, questions coming to you next. So. Um, I would just say, uh, you know, don't do it alone. I would say, you know, you need to make sure that you go and you identify those sponsors in the crowd, right? Um, I think early on having that roadshow was so important because um, I ended up getting, you know, advocates that I didn't even think were going to be my advocates. Um, and, you know, for those of you guys who are familiar with the whole leadership concept between a, a coach, sponsor, and mentor, right? Um, the sponsor is the one that talks about you when you're not in the room. And so um, because we brought so many folks in um, and, and had them, you know, give feedback on the charter, it made them feel like they were part of this process. And one of the things that I always say is, you know, I like to make people part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And so bringing them in early on really did that for us. And so that way, anytime Matt or anybody from my team approached them, they knew exactly who they were, why they were there and what they needed. Right. Um, and so that for me early on was key. The other thing, too, is you're not alone. Um, the customer success world is so small. 
And one of the things that I love is everyone's willing to share what we're mm -hmm. all working on. And so one of the things we've continuously done throughout our, um, our journey, pun intended, is we've been in touch with many other CS leaders exchanging notes, right? We just launched at Atmosphere the, a week ago, we just launched um, our, our global partner success program. We're now taking the customer success framework that we talked about earlier, we've now extended it so that the partner community could leverage it. And they're actually taking our digital comms and have the opportunity to white label that. That's huge. And I know that from an industry perspective, especially in this hybrid of software versus hardware, I actually want to say it's it's probably an industry first at the way that we're doing it, where we actually can have partners live in our CS platform tool, but managing their customers, right? And so um, it's not something I'm shy talking about, right? It's, it's something that I was approached quite a bit at the conference and have no problem sharing with you because guess what? When someone evolves off of this model, I get to learn what worked and what didn't, and then I can evolve mine. And so what I would tell the CS leaders is you're getting started, you got Matt, you got my, uh, you got, you got Matt, myself, and 198 other people on this podcast that are more willing to talk about whatever you're going. <laughs> That's why Gang Retain has worked from the start because people are willing to share. So, absolutely, great point. All right, Matt. And well, one thing I follow up on Carlos's last point is that between the Tatango conference and the atmosphere, you know, we actually were talking at the Tatango conference. We were talking to a competitor of ours who's facing a comparable challenge with the partner community. And we're working to set up a workshop with them just to kind of understand the challenges each other are having and how we can, you know, share, share our knowledge. So I think that collaboration is huge. But for me, the one takeaway is be bold. Be bold in what you're looking for and, you know, and be bold with who you talk to and don't be afraid, you know, they're state what the challenges that you're having and what you're trying to accomplish and that open and honest you know that's how you get those sponsors to buy in you know if they truly understand the why of what you're trying to do they're going to be they're more likely to help you and work behind the scenes to help you um, but if you don't ask you don't tell them the challenges and try and incorporate them in your solution you're not going to be as successful as you could be yeah right and, and I and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing, I would be unfair if I didn't mention this. We didn't do this by ourselves very, very early on. We partnered with a company called ESG. Um, ESG yeah. is an extension of my team uh, since day one. They continue to be. Um, and they essentially act as my incubator. So, um, you know, shout out to that team there as well, because um, I think collectively we've all learned a lot. And I feel pretty confident in saying that, you know, we've actually helped really progress this industry forward with some of the work that, that we've done collaboratively. Agreed. All right. Well, that's a great place to call it a wrap. Any, anything else, Jeff? Uh, appreciate y'all doing this. It was fun. Yeah. Good to yeah, see y'all again. Good, it's good, good to get the update. We won't wait two and a half years until the next one. Hey, thanks for having us, guys. And again, congrats on all the success. I mean, you guys are killing it and glad, glad to be a part of this and glad to um, have you guys on my network. Yeah, you, you too. And we're, we're, we're just proud to be associated with, with what y'all are doing. So, all right. All right. Talk to you soon. soon. Appreciate your time.